Welcome to Surviving the Crazy. I'm Julia, and I'm on a quest to write a book. One story at a time, one month at a time. I'm glad you're here. You guys can come with me on this journey. Think of it as the slow rollout of the future audiobook. <laughs> Well, there I was, after a Vegas trip of epic sex. I found myself firmly placed in the friend zone with Todd. This revelation was shockingly difficult for me to take. My 25-year-old ego was not accustomed to being in this unwanted position. After a few days spent brooding about it, Perry finally confronted me. Dude, why are you so upset about Todd? Weren't you the one complaining about him? Isn't this what you wanted? Damn. She was right. What was my problem? After all, wasn't it nice to have some peace and quiet, some drama-free study sessions? Wasn't it nice to go to work at the air rescue hangar like any other team member? It was nice, yet still, I was bothered. In fact, I'm still kind of bothered now. As recently as 2022, I reached out to my other BFF, Nicole, and tried to recount this time in my life. And what in the world was I thinking? Back then, I had the chance to make a clean break from Todd with no hurt feelings. And she too remembers that time clearly and wished she had tried harder to, you know, knock some sense into me. Yep. <sighs> yes, leave it to good old friends to put things into perspective for you. She did try to talk some sense into me. I do remember her telling me that just because that now I had discovered amazing sex, Todd isn't the only one who can work this magic. In fact, she had already met many men in her life that can do the same mind-blowing sex. <laughs> she urged me to go out and meet more people, have more sex, find out for myself. That all seemed overwhelming. After all, you actually have to have the sex to find out if it's going to be good or not. Having slept with a whopping two people in my life at that point, I wasn't one for experimenting. Perry also had similar sex-positive conversations with me as well, yet I just couldn't shake the rejection of Todd. Aha! That's what it was. I really hated being rejected. That's what I felt this way. After months of overbearing communication and impressively expensive trips, I was feeling rejected by Todd at the very time I found him interesting. I mistakenly concluded then that I must not be interesting or good at sex. I was convinced it had to be one of those two reasons, or maybe both, for him to change courses so suddenly. And I felt there was nothing I could do about it but just sit at home and watch endless episodes of Perry's VHS collection of Sex in the City. She was right, there was an episode for every situation. So, I took some of Samantha's advice and decided to make myself more interesting and hot. I let Perry take me out shopping for some new sexy clothes and makeup. The clothes wouldn't help my case while I was at the hangar in my pea green baggy jumpsuit but the quote, natural, no makeup, makeup look could. I made some time for myself and started riding my road cycle almost daily. I started going to the gym at school almost every morning as well. All of these things helped get me out and get my confidence back and I felt physically better too. Strangely, even though I was studying less hours, they seemed to be more productive. Perhaps school was becoming second nature or the working out was allowing me to focus better when I studied. 
Either way, it was nice. It was during this time, one morning while running on the track at campus, I literally ran into an old paramedic partner of mine. A few years back, while I was an EMT working at the ambulance company AMR, he was assigned to be my partner. He was a slight Filipino gentleman. He certainly could not have weighed more than me, although he was an inch taller than my five foot three frame. He wore thin wire glasses and for some reason he had super ripped arms. I always thought it was weird this slightly hot and small framed man boy had giant muscular arms on his otherwise chihuahua-like body. Like I said, we literally ran into each other because it was a super foggy morning. The Inland Empire is notorious for their fog. People have been known to get lost in their front yards going from the front door to the curb looking for their cars. Massive freeway pileups have been based on this super low visibility. I love running in the fog. I did as a child and I still do in my 20s. Keeping it safe in an enclosed environment though, <laughs> on a track you often found yourself in the grass unknowingly. One time I ended up in the front of the gym. <laughs> the fog could really be that thick. This morning was one of those densely foggy mornings and as I stepped foot onto the track, out of the fog from my left came a man who seemed to be barreling down on me. But thankfully, the collision was soft and kind of seemed to be in slow motion as we both tried to move our bodies out of the way at the split second too late. There we were, both on the dirt and profusely apologizing to each other. He recognized me first. Julia? And about a half second behind him. Oh, hey, Anthony. What are you doing here? He said, I go to school here. <laughs> Assuming you do too. Oh, yeah. I'm in the pharmacy program. How about you? As we pulled ourselves up and brushed ourselves off, he said he had just started the physician's assistance program. Way cool. Good for you, Anthony. And yep, he still had those oddly sexy jacked arms and skinny body and not one single sign of body hair. <laughs> just the jet black straight mop on the top of his head. I knew he would be a great physician's assistant. I remember him being super smart, polite, and very caring. The type of kindness that was unspoken with patients. They just felt comfortable with Anthony. So much more than many of the other paramedic partners I had been paired with in the past. Back when I was partners with Anthony, I wasn't old enough to buy a beer, and he just barely able to. We were not only the youngest crew by nearly a decade in our division, our youthful looks didn't help our reputation either. Before long, we were known as the diaper crew, not just by our peers as some kind of inside joke, but by everyone in the division, the police, the firemen, even the 911 dispatchers, who had never even seen us. <laughs> they would just announce over the call system, the diaper crew is in route. And I don't think it was meant to be a positive announcement, you know, if you know what I mean. Probably more of a warning to those already on scene. Luckily for us though, what started out as an insult soon became a loving name. Also, our skill set as a quick moving crew gave us quite the advantage in our call placements. We worked together really well and because of that we started to receive preferential assignments. It wasn't without merit though. In fact, there was a specific turning point on one very memorable call. Anthony and I once single-handedly, well kind of, we single-handedly as first responders had to act very fast and enlist the help of gang member bystanders to help what was on its way to becoming a mass casualty incident. Because five of their friends were all turning all shades of blue and purple from not breathing for who knows how long. 
they were having a very bad trip and not in a good part of town. This part of town always required police to clear the scene first, meaning the police had to arrive and check out the emergency and deem it safe for the first responders to arrive. Like I said, this was not a good part of town. Sometimes there's still active shooters at large when the police would get on scene, or people still attacking each other. See what I mean? Police first. Anyway, this one time, I'll never forget, the call was next to the main rail line going through the city of Fontana, which is the main rail artery for the entire west coast of the United States. Everything on the rail from the west coast ports goes through Fontana before departing from other parts of the country. Rail is king in Fontana. So, a group of men had apparently gathered near the tracks to do drugs, among other things I can only imagine. Our ambulance happened to arrive first, ahead of fire and police. Normally, we would need to wait for the police in this situation where our crew could possibly be in danger. But because this call wasn't at an actual address, we were just driving around up and down the tracks, looking for the callers. We happened to have arrived first, and unfortunately for our safety, we crossed the tracks a few minutes before an atypically long train rolled on through, trapping the police on the other side. The trains that came through this part of the line were usually longer than the eye could see. Sometimes they'd be 20 minutes, sometimes almost 45. It was this type of long train, long and slow. Without backup and safety from the other side of this train, our dispatcher regrettably informed us that the next closest units from the other side of the tracks were still another 20 minutes out. We were supposed to stay inside our ambulance and wait. As one might imagine, the group of men who called 911 were in panic as they were watching their buddies die right before their eyes. They were not okay with this watch and wait scenario that our protocol wanted us to play out. Neither were we. Before we could finish talking to our dispatcher, several of the men were banging on our unit. I remember my heart starting to pound in unison with the banging. Anthony gave me the CB radio and asked me to hold the mic open while he addressed the men. He rolled down his window just enough to speak to them, and he shouted in the most authoritative sound I could ever imagine coming from a man who looked like him. Something like, I'm here to help you. You must agree to help me too. Can you guys do as I tell you? They all nodded, and he yelled at them to stand back so he could turn this rig around, which they did, and I did. I backed it right up to the heap of passed out men in the dirt next to the never-ending slow-moving train. I thought we could just both step right onto that thing and ride off to safety. <laughs> nope. Anthony then told me to get as many OD kits ready as I could and toss them over, which meant assembling breathing bags and IV setups. I ran to the back of the unit and flung open the back door. He grabbed his medicine bag and got to work. I started throwing out gear to the standard buyers and directing them to which person to put it next to. Next, Anthony grabbed a handful of IV needles and went down the line and getting a line in each man, first stick, I swear, followed by me screwing in the ready IV line, hooking it up and letting it flow. Then I'd hand it each to another man to hold it up high next to his friend. All five men with a flowing line in under two minutes. It had to have been a record. Next, I assembled the breathing apparatuses and gave each friend a quick tutorial on how to use it, pressing a good seal over the mouth and nose and de deflating the bag against your thigh with the other hand, slow and steady, thus providing life-saving oxygen to these men. 
Within a minute or two, each Manhattan Ivy line was receiving air and slowly turning back from dark purple to reddish pink, the sign of oxygenated tissue. While we were confident that each man had a pulse and was receiving air, Anthony and I started preparing the Narcan doses. This was before the pre-made injectables were available that they have today. We had to draw it out of a vial at precisely two milligram doses and mix it into the IV line going into each man. When Anthony got started on the first man, I made more syringes and, and directed even more friends to get ready. Yeah, get ready. <laughs> These were big men. And it was my experience that most people who have overdosed on heroin do not wake up happy. In fact, they usually will want to rip out their IV and attack you. After all, for all they know, their hallucinogenic trip is going swimmingly. And now you are here to ruin it. And even as an EMT bystander, from my point of view, the Narcan treatment tends to wake you up like a giant bucket of ice thrown over you. I've never seen anyone come after a Narcan dose. Nicely, slowly, calmly. Nope, never. It always seems like a jolt to them. If not an ice bucket, maybe a jolt of lightning. So before Anthony pushed in the Narcan, we had more friends ready to hold them down, one on each extremity. We were about halfway waking up all these very fortunate yet angry tattooed muscles when the train finally ended and our police escort arrived. I'm not sure who was more surprised, the police by our scene or the gang members to see the police. I could see it in their eyes, instantly. Like a dog who sees their enemy pooch from across the street, their instinct clearly wanted to run. As the police cruiser was driving over to the tracks, Anthony addressed the men. He reminded them that their continued participation is needed to save their friends. Don't leave until they're all awake and breathing on their own. Most of the men stayed, yet you could see the reluctance in their face. Evading police was in their blood, but luckily for their friends, they stayed until everyone was awake and not attacking us. As yes, these rudely awakened men did also want to. Yep, I'm batting a thousand on this aggressive trend of Narcan waking up. I don't remember if they were arrested. I don't remember much more about the scene other than being so damn impressed with ourselves. Resuscitating one person with a full EMS crew is hard work and it takes total coordination. Resuscitating five men with two people is damn near a miracle. And I think everyone else felt that way too because that was the call that was the definite turning point at my time at AMR. From a young EMT at the bottom of every totem pole in the job to respect for both of us. I think our confidence grew that day too. Maybe that's why we both somehow eventually landed ourselves at a prestigious graduate school. So in the fog, we walked and talked several laps, caught up with each other for our lives over the past five years and exchanged phone numbers. A few days later, Anthony invited me to join his group of friends for a study session. In fact, they were learning about respiratory antibiotics and was wondering if I could quiz them. Sure, that sounded fun. Really, I know it did. And yes, we already established I am such a nerd. So I did join them for that study session and a few more over the next couple weeks. I'm quite sure there were plenty of texts involved as well, which now, if you remember from my missed red flags episode, Todd was likely to have been reading. Anyway, after the third or fourth study session, Anthony invited me to go indoor rock climbing with him. I had never been myself, although I'd been to a couple calls to this place from falling climbers, 
but that wouldn't deter me either. <laughs> so we met up at the rock climbing gym and he helped me into the proper shoes and harness. He gave me a quick tutorial and up the wall I went for my first climb. It was super fun and much more challenging than I thought it would be. After I came back down, Anthony took up the wall without a rope. He started scaling the wall free climbing. Then my jaw dropped even more. I saw firsthand where those jacked arms come from. <laughs> Inverted rock climbing. He came to a section of the room that actually went slightly upside down. Every tiny thread of muscle in Anthony's arms were bulging as he held his body against the holds, slowly creeping across the ceiling and around to the other side. Whoa, I had never seen a real life Spider-Man. His giant arms and slender body seemed a perfect match for this hobby. There were a few more trips to the climbing gym with Anthony where I not only gazed at his beautiful arms and gravity-defying physique, but I also learned what would get me out of Todd's friend zone. It wasn't makeup, clothes, or possibly better sex. It was plain, clear-cut jealousy. It seemed that as soon as I was comfortable with the friend zone and perhaps was moving on to find greener pastures, Todd wanted back in. In fact, he quite accusingly questioned me about Anthony at the hangar one weekend. I could see that he was jealous that I would hang out with Anthony, quote, studying, end quote, and yet I couldn't bear to send him a text while I was doing my secret study time. He said it in that tone too, the tone you use when you're mocking someone. Then he moved on to saying that Anthony is just using me to give him all the answers and that I'm the stupid one for falling for it. Letting myself get used like that, how stupid. Okay, Jesus, overkill, dude. For me, talking about medications and their uses will never be using me. That is exactly, precisely what I'm trying to learn and make my career. No amount of studying this in any form is going to be a waste of my time. Of course, I didn't say it so eloquently that day. I probably just sat there and nodded while Todd lectured me about this potential pitfalls of Anthony. Even if I had wanted to say something, I can't imagine Todd would have let me get a word in otherwise. But hey, guess what? Now, suddenly Todd is interested in participating in indoor rock climbing <laughs> and we should go together. <sighs> okay, and with a promise of free dinner, after, uh, it was a date. Todd and I climbed a few more times once we ran into Anthony at the gym. Surprise, it wasn't long after that that Anthony stopped hanging out with me, and even sooner, Todd lost all interest in indoor rock climbing. Funny how that worked out, and funny how easy it was to get Todd to change his mind and decide that I should be his one and only again. Hmm. <laughs> Not that I was ready to jump back into bed with him, because I really wanted to but I didn't forget so easily. This time, I really did try and have a talk about it. I even set up a lunch meeting to do just that. I told him that it really hurt my feelings after Vegas that he just blew me off, and he became a bit defensive. He tried to explain that he didn't blow me off, it's just how I felt about it, and he's not responsible for my feelings. Hmm. I tried to correct him and say that, yes, when your actions are causing my feelings, you are in fact responsible for your actions, and therefore, my feelings. He didn't really like that either, 
but then again, I knew by this time the Todd cannot and will not ever take criticism in any form. Instead, I tried to change tactics. I said that I like traveling with him and I enjoy our dates and hanging out. I even told him that our sex was the best I'd ever had. He liked that part a lot, <laughs> of course. Then I tried to explain that if we are going to be sexual partners, I need more than that from him. I told him explicitly that I expect him to only have sex with me, not other women, and that I would do the same. If his feelings about that were to change, he needed to tell me. Also, I needed him to be comfortable with me studying or hanging out with other men that I am not having sex with. Essentially, not all men are out there and they're not all a threat and they don't need to be put down. I specifically told him I didn't want to be labeled as his girlfriend just because we're having sex, but I am open to see where this goes. School comes first, love life comes second. He agreed to all of this, eagerly. <laughs> we drove back to his business, where I had parked my car. He said he wanted to show me something real quick in his office. It turns out that behind his bathroom door, there's another door that leads to a small room with a childlike nap mat, you know, the trifled kind, perfect for an afternoon lunch quickie, which yes, he was eager to partake in. What a pretty quick U-turn that turned out to be out of the friend zone and back into the train platform, just waiting for my ticket of one on the crazy train with Todd. <laughs>